0: Hello and welcome to On The Ledge Podcast, the podcast for people who find plants irresistible and also sometimes infuriating. My name is Jane Perrone and in this week's show... I talk to the lovely Rose about alocasias and more. We review the latest developments in the On The Ledge Sew Along. And I answer a question about hoya seeds. Thank you for all of you who've been quick off the mark and are already getting involved in the On The Ledge Sew Along this year, as announced in last week's episode, episode 210. So, if you haven't listened to that episode, here's the lowdown. It's a project where I encourage as many people as possible to grow houseplants of any kind from seed, and you can chart your progress on social media using the hashtag OTLSOAlong. So just use hashtag OTLSOAlong. Don't put the year or anything, because I might not pick it up. The posts I mainly look at are hashtag OTLSOALong. And that is what quite a number of you have been doing on Facebook and Instagram. Over on the Houseplant Fans Facebook group, there's been lots of updates on what you've been up to. Julia's sowing seed from the American Begonia Society. Kelly, my assistant, well, she's sowing bluebell vine seeds, Clitoria turnartia. Ooh. which come from Thompson and Morgan, their houseplant seeds range. Never grown that one, Kelly. Let me know how you get on. Helen has been getting an avocado pit to bust open. I mean, Helen's wondering if that doesn't count as the sew-along, but I mean, you are going to sew it eventually. It's more of a sprout-along right now, though. I do agree. It looks good, though. Well done. And of course, that was one of my early episodes looking at growing avocados from the stone. So well done for that. And Elspeth has got 10 packs of 25 cactus seeds from the cactusstore.com, including Serious, Apuntia, Trichosarius and mammalaria. Ooh, those are cool. And over on Instagram, Round Rabbit has got foxtail fern, asparagus fern babies on the go, while Belinotropin has got a fantastic range of succulent seeds ready to sow. So it's not too late if you want to take part. Have a listen to episode 210 if you haven't already done so, in which the lovely Ian Thwaites gives some tips on sowing cacti and succulents. And if you look at that episode also, you can find all the previous Sow Along episodes to find out everything you need to know about sowing house plants from seed and just crack on and have a go i'm going to be so i still haven't got round to doing my sewing yet but i will be doing some this weekend and yes i'll be sharing that on the old social media with the hashtag say it after me hashtag otl Now, if you're not in the UK, you can skip forward a minute or two, but something specifically for my British listeners right now. And that is, I am launching something special for you. It's called The Plant Ledger. See what I did there? It is an email newsletter about the UK houseplant scene. So it's going to cover things like offers, And sales at online and physical plant shops, plant shops opening or moving, new plant introductions, cool Instagrammers you need to follow. And it's going to be a one-stop shop for all of that information. If you happen to be a planty business in the UK, there's a chance to advertise at a low cost and reach just the kind of people who might like your product. So how do you get hold of the plant ledger? I will put a link in the show notes or if you go to my website, JanePerone.com, you'll find a plant ledger link in the top right hand corner, the main navigation. Click on that and you will be able to sign up and If you sign up, you get my free guide, detailed guide to fungus gnats and their control. So you get a lovely free gift of a three page detailed PDF on fungus gnats. What are they? What's their life cycle? How do we control them? What are the things that do work and the things that don't work? So free one of those for everybody who signs up. So go ahead today and subscribe to that newsletter. It's going to come out fortnightly initially, but if it's a success, I'm hoping to move it to weekly. And if you've got things that you're organising or you're a plant shop or you have any news that you think would be good for that newsletter, you can drop that to theplantledger at gmail.com and I would love to hear from you. So that's pretty exciting. I'm hoping that it's going to, offer something really unique and useful to anyone in the UK who grows houseplants. And I shall be opening a bottle of bubbly this weekend because this coming Monday, the 28th, is the five year, yes, five year anniversary of me starting on the ledge. The first episode came out on the 28th of February, 2017. Heck, doesn't that seem a long time ago? A lot's happened in that time, hasn't it? So I'm going to be celebrating this weekend and I was asking people on social media how I should be doing that. And lots of you suggested interesting things like planting a tree. That's a good idea. Making a succulent looking cake. Have you seen those cakes that have the icing that look like succulents? I thought that was a cool idea with five candles on it opening a bottle of bubbly, which is what I probably will be doing. And I thought I might also make a top five of the most commonly heard words on On The Ledge podcast. Number one would probably be fantastic. Number two would probably be fabulous. I'm thinking three might well be Hoya. knowing me. Four, Monstra, and five, well, knowing me and my... Britishisms. It might well be the word compost. As ever, I want to say again, thank you for all your support over the last five years. I cannot believe it's been five years since this podcast began, but I really couldn't do it without you. So thank you to everybody who has listened to even 10 seconds of the show since its inception. Thank you also to Mark and Plant Daddy podcast, another houseplant podcast that I love listening to, who have both become legends this week, supporting On The Ledge on Patreon. Now let's hear from this week's guest. And if you have ever started out with great hope and affection for one of those gorgeous alocasia pollys, and it's all very quickly gone wrong.
1: I'm Rose uh, from Plant With Rose, and I make plant videos, plant content. That is kind of my job now. I'm also a yoga teacher and I'm from the Netherlands. Tell me about your alocasia collection. How many have you got? Have you counted them or are you too scared? I actually counted them for oh, you. Good. <laughs> I haven't counted them before. I have 12 different kinds at the moment. I do have my eye on a few more, but that is, um, yeah. I don't have them. I don't try to buy too many plants right now because I already have a lot of other plants as well. So it doesn't sound like a lot, actually, just 12. But they're all very, very special to me.
0: What is it that makes them special plants for you? Is it a merely aesthetic thing, the beautiful leaves? Or is there something different or deeper going on?
1: I really appreciate the difference in their leaf that like they can look completely different to each other. You have round ribbed red leaves, and then you have something that looks more like a crystallinum with velvet and dark and glittery veins. They can get really, really big quite quickly as well, which I really like. And they're just... I think they're just really fun to grow if you know what you're doing, because they can also be a little bit of a challenge, I admit.
0: Yeah, this is a cry of pain from me in that alocasias are not my friends. I mean, generally... Aroids are not my friends, uh, most of them. Uh, and I have had the classic experience of buying that beautiful alocasia poly and thinking, oh gosh, this is amazing. And then, you know, it starts to rapidly turn into something horrific, uh, <laughs> falling leaves, and you don't know why. And it's very traumatic. Where do most people go wrong with these plants?
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people saying I like to look at them, but not take them home because it's a little bit depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, I think I was lucky. I started with plants and I just put them in my windowsill. My windowsill is south facing, so I didn't realize what I was doing right until I learned a little bit more about plants in the years after. But light, I think, is what most people underestimate. They can take a lot of light and they want and need much more light than other aeroids. So I even have an Allocasia Sabrina in my greenhouse outside, which is also south-facing. So the first few leaves burned and then it grew new leaves that were perfect and that could take all of the light. So I think light is the most important But also being very careful with root rot because they can rot quite quickly. So I try to water mine. Um, I I let them dry out a lot between watering and I check because in summer they can need a lot of water, especially the bigger forms. But in general, I let them dry out quite a lot. I'm quite mean to them, (laughs) which I think they like. (laughs) Well, yeah, that
0: is the key, isn't it? And that's just being aware of their... Needs rather than being mean or that it can feel it can feel very mean as you say so we're worried about light as you say you might bring one home that is that a classic scenario when you bring it home you either put it in that south facing window and it starts to burn because it's not quite used to that much light or it's something's happened to it while it's been in the shop or in transit that means it has a bit of a rocky start at the beginning that seems to be what happens with people
1: Yeah, I think actually in my windowsill, they don't burn unless it's full high summer in the south facing window. So usually when you take one home, you put it Um, maybe like it will be a completely different spot than it was used to growing. And usually in people's homes, it's much darker than in the greenhouses. So I think for most people, they don't get enough light, they might have already gotten too much water in the greenhouse where they sit like the garden centers, sometimes they water plants very thoroughly, which these guys don't need very often. So I think it's a combination. And then sometimes if you bring them home in winter, it can get quite cold outside. So there's a a whole lot of things that are changing for them, and then they have to adjust to your space. So it's quite normal for them to have a little bit of shock, but I think that's for most plants if you bring them home, unless they're very, very sturdy, happy plants. So I like to just give them a little bit of time and then make sure they get enough water. No, <laughs> enough light, uh, a little bit of water when they need it. I use a little, you know, the, the measuring stick thingies in, that you can put in the pot. Like it's oh, yes, a, yeah like I don't know the word for it. I'm Dutch. Sorry. A, du- yeah. a water gauge. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I stick that in especially if there are new plants because the medium that they come in is not your medium that you're used to, the soil, the soil mix. So I like to use that in the beginning to check it out, uh to make sure that you don't overwater because sometimes the medium that it comes in is not ideal for your space. I actually just rotted a plant because I kept it in the original soil and all the roots were gone. So whoops, it still oh. happens to me as well. Um. So I think that is very important. The other thing with alocasias is also they are very, very prone to spider mites. So always check your plants before you even bring them home to see if there's those little tiny uh, bugs on there or if you see some webbing on the leaves and keep an eye on them. In general, I use uh, protective measures to make sure that they don't get the the spider mites.
0: And what are your what what are your
1: measures? Do you prefer biological controls or something else? I use good bugs. I call them my little good bug army, and I basically get fresh ones every four weeks. I'm lucky because I collaborate with a company that sells them in Holland. So for the currently for the spider mites, I get them every eight weeks. I get fresh little baggies of good mites that will eat any spider mites. Since I started doing that in January 2021, I haven't had any spider mites anymore, and I'm knocking on the table right now just.
0: To <laughs> <keep that laughs> oh my that way. gosh! Yeah, you want that to stay that way. That yeah. is a really good uh, success rate because. Uh, so, so if if you're worried about spider mites on your allocations. You, obviously, as you say you're looking for that that sort of those grainy webby bits on the back of the leaves is Does the plant have any other is it just looking generally sad when a spider mite infestation hits? Is
1: there anything else to look out for it's hard I think with spider mites because once you see the webbing it 's gone pretty far already, and so I try to just check the little even just the tops of the leaves in the in the dips what do you call them like the the veins I guess yeah. Sometimes they can hide there, so I try to keep an eye out. But honestly, since I started using predatory mites, I, I don't check them anymore. <laughs> it's allowed me to be really quite lazy with uh, treatment, so that's amazing. I really, really like that because I want to spend good time with my plants and not checking for scary bugs. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's hard to see the signs. I feel like other bugs might give clearer signs earlier on. Spider mites, I feel like you really, they're so small and the webbing is a little bit easier to spot, but them by themselves, it's hard that they are very easy to come into your home, especially in spring and summer when the windows are open and there's a little bit of a breeze and I don't know how they get here, but they always, they always get in somehow, just like with thrips, unfortunately. But yeah, I don't know really how you can spot them apart from the webbing
0: yeah it's a pain, isn't it i mean i I do have this kind of strange vision, like spider man type vision of little spider mites kind of like flinging themselves in through an open door. Oh. In the summertime, <laughs> like, coming. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. It's amazing, isn't it, how these pests manage to work their way
1: in. I mean, that that is definitely a
0: David Attenborough documentary, right? For sure, there. for sure.
1: I made actually a, a reel or a TikTok about this because I found so many different things that I never even thought about. Like I saw some raspberries with thrips on them, like fruit that you would just eat that you buy in the supermarket. They had thrips on them, and then you can bring it in on your clothes or. Uh, with, of course, when you're bringing in new plants or you're trading with someone, there's so many ways of them to come in that I think you, you can't really have a house without pests. You can manage them rather than to try and eradicate them fully.
0: Well, indeed, you know, and as I always say, you know, you've got mites living on your face. Become used <laughs> to this idea that mites are everywhere, including on your face.
1: I actually heard that yesterday for the first time in my life. So... <laughs>
0: Be back with Rose shortly, but now it's time for question of the week and it's OTL sew along related. Lauren wanted to know where to source Hoya seed. Now, this is an interesting one because while most seeds, both vegetable and houseplant, indeed have a viability that lasts for a number of years, sometimes in the case of some seeds, as we learned back in the Millennium Seed Bank episode, seeds can last for an incredibly long time, but some seed has very limited viability. It has to be sown when it's really fresh, and this is the case for Hoya seeds, and that's why you don't generally see packets of Hoya seed because seed that's going to be sitting around in a seed packet needs to have lengthy viability so it can sit around in that seed packet and still sprout once you sow it back home. So Hoya seed is problematic for this reason and doesn't come up in the usual places that you might go to get your house plant seed. So the Hoya seed network, I guess, is rather unreliable and certainly under the radar. The best thing you can do, I think, is really, as actually Ian Thwaites said for the Cactus and Succulent episode last week, get to know other Hoya growers, be it in person or virtually, and Ask them nicely for some seed. When seed is produced by hoyas, when they are pollinated successfully, they can produce quite a lot of seed. So people may have seed going begging and you may be able to get some that way. Uh, it's going to be sporadic. It's going to be not that easy. But that is definitely what I would recommend doing. Get on board with the various hoya groups that exist on social media like Facebook. There's quite a few different ones. And ask around. It's not going to be easy to get hold of Hoya seed, but it's definitely worth a try. Hoyas are great to grow as cuttings, but when you do grow them from seed, you get a huge number, which obviously if you're looking to build your collection by doing some swaps, might be a great way. Just to say also, I have occasionally seen Hoya seed come up on eBay. I just checked just now, and there were a couple of Hoya seed offers up there obviously use extreme caution because i can see that two of the listings that are there are clearly not going to produce any viable seed but there's a couple of completed listings where people who look like absolutely bona fide Hoya growers are selling seed. Um, this These are at, at listings that are no longer running, but ones that you could have bought in the last couple of months for um, Hoya verticillata and um, some kind of green-flowered Hoya carnosa. So those are worth, it's worth having a look on eBay. It's not going to be probably something that comes up an awful lot, but you may be able to occasionally find some seed there. But yeah, I mean, get to know other growers. There is nothing like any other corner of the houseplant world, Hoya growers are incredibly passionate and generous, so you never know what might turn up. How long will Hoya seed last before it becomes not viable? Probably only a few weeks. If you do get some Hoya seed, try to sow it as soon as you can, and until that point, store it in the fridge, and that way it should last a little bit longer. When it comes to sowing hoya seeds, some people choose to not put them straight into a substrate, but use damp kitchen towel, kitchen paper, um, and put the seeds between two sheets of damp kitchen paper, misting them daily um, and allowing them to germinate before putting them into uh, a substrate uh, once they've sprouted. So that's worth considering. Um, If you do order online, just be incredibly careful because there are lots of vendors out there who are selling things under various different names. As we've discussed before on the show, Hoya seeds are quite distinctive. They look a bit like sort of dandelion seeds on speed because they've got, they're sort of long and capsule shaped. And then they have this white parachutey bit on the end, depending on the species, but they roughly all look the same. Um, And Yeah, if you get sort of seeds that look like brassica seeds and they seemed very cheap, that's probably what they are. I did come across a blog which is a bit old now, last updated, I think, about 2017, but it does have some useful information on um, dealing with germinated Hoya seeds. It's called Hoya La or Hoya La with an exclamation mark at the end. I'll put a link in the show notes to that so you can see how they germinate their Hoya seeds and plant them up so that's quite interesting it's a shame that blog is no longer being updated but I'll put that link in there in case you're interested if you've got a question for on the ledge drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com and now back to Rose tell me about when you repot a new alocasia what substrate do you go for I'm imagining it's something nice and chunky and airy
1: Yeah, I use an airy soil mix for all of my aeroids actually and for my hoyas as well. And it's a mix of soil that I really like. It's uh, more not so peat based because they try to be a little bit more uh, aware of the environment. So they have other bits in there like rice hulls and uh, pieces of wood, I think. And then I add in a bunch of bark. I think it's one third, one third of each of those and perlite as well. And then it, that makes it nice and airy for all of the aeroids. And if it's a bigger plant, like my big monsteras, I might put a little bit more bark. Um, and if it's a little bit more thirsty, like some of the alocasias are a little bit more thirsty, then I might add a little bit more of the soil. Actually, I didn't tell you this yet, but I think there are two types of alocasias. So in my experiences, so this is not anything scientific or anything, but um, there's the ones that are quite big and that need a little bit more water and more light as well. And then there's a smaller growing. I think a name for them as well is jewel alocasias. So the silver dragon and the dragon scale and all of those, the black velvet are the more smaller form, the the jewel alocasias. And then we have the bigger ones like the zebrina, um, the Frydeck, Michaeliziana, Maxkowski, or the actual Frydeck, the variegated one, that need, especially in summer, you will see that the, the Frydecks are so, so thirsty. So I have a little bit of a separation in my brain for the care for them, for the, the two groups.
0: Mm, yeah, that's interesting. And just going back to buying alocasias, do you find that... I just had a message from a listener recently. I think it was an allocation they bought, which was really came and it was really huge. It was a really big one. And it really struggled. And I'm just wondering whether you find that buying mature, established plants is a bit of a false economy and that actually you get a better result with a young, youngish baby plant that is more able to adapt to your conditions without too much stress.
1: I actually... I think it's the opposite, at least in my experience with the jewel, with the smaller allocations. I've had so many baby uh, black velvets and silver dragons that have struggled and then died. And when I buy them as a bigger plant, then they are fine and they just continue growing and they're okay. So for the smaller ones, at least I always try and buy a mature plant and I definitely think they are worth the extra money to get them big because the babies are so sensitive and I literally have killed... Well, I, I try to not say that anymore. A lot of them have died in my care um, <laughs> when they were babies compared to when they are already mature. For the bigger types of alocasias, I definitely think that you can buy them smaller. They seem to be a little bit stronger, uh, like the zebrinas, for example. But they're just... Because they're so sensitive to rot and when they're a little bit more small, the babies, then it's easier to overwater or, or forget to water them once and then the soil dries out too much and the roots die anyway. So, I actually think they are worth the extra money for a mature plant, yeah, that's interesting. I
0: find the same with begonias actually that oftentimes hmm. the, the the for example, a lot of people buy very little begonia maculata whiteii and Really at that stage there's they're very the same thing happens. You get that same scenario where it's like, oh, it's all gone pear-shaped and there's not enough of a root <laughs> system to really to really make it work. So that is an interesting point. Um whereas with some other genera, I would say, oh, buy a small one because it's just easier that way. So I guess it depends, but that's interesting to hear about allocations. And if you do get into a root rot scenario, what are your what, What's your emergency treatment for anything that you you suspect suffering from root rot?
1: I actually have a few right now in like recovery mode, I call it, and I'm looking at my dragon skill right now that also is showing quite sad leaves. So I'm thinking I might have to do some rescuing there as well. For me, one of the signs is that, of course, the leaves are yellowing and hanging and dying. I'm looking at one now that the leaves curl backwards, and that's always a sign for me that there might. Be an issue with the roots. But once that I notice that and I take it out and all the roots are gone, I check first if the stem is still okay. Because if that is also rotted, then I tried to rescue once. Um my Fry had root a stem rot, and oh, it was disgusting smell. There was no saving oh, it. It no. was just way too late. I tried, but no. So I check if the stem is still okay. If it was just the roots, then I usually pop it in perlite or ceramis, which is um, like leca but smaller pieces. So semi-hydroponics. And then I just keep it in a nice, warm, light, humid spot. Um, it doesn't even have to be humid, to be honest. I have some on my shelves right now that are fine. And I hope that roots will start to grow again. And And I have had good success with that. I like to have them in clear pots. In the like the medium, so that you can see if the roots are starting to grow, you can keep an eye on it. And once they have enough roots, you can always pot them back in soil if that that's your preferred medium. So that's my usual rescue (laughs) rescue mission style. (laughs) Yeah, it's obviously something
0: you have to keep a really good eye out for. Um, If you want to avoid this kind of trauma, though, what are the best allocations you'd recommend for somebody? starting out with a new collection?
1: I think the Sabrina is amazing. I do have to say I am pretty picky. (laughs) I have a specific taste, so I don't like the look of all of them. But from my collection, the ones that I think are easier are the Sabrina. Mine is so big and beautiful. I actually have a variegated one, a yellow variegated one that is just incredible and so fun and easy. Plus the stems are cute. Everyone loves the stems on those. Um, The Frydeck is also quite... Quite easy, in my opinion. The mycolitiana Maxkowski. I always just say Friday because that's the easier name. It's a, a very fast-growing one as well. Uh, the dragon scale I really like. That seems to be, for me, a little bit sturdier than the silver dragon and the dragon scale. No, the silver dragon and the black velvet that I always struggle with. So many dragon words. Um, so I think those two are actually they are popular, but they are a little bit more tricky. Do you have any sort of aesthetic rules
0: for displaying your allocations in terms of is it just a case of an individual pot and a sorcerer or a cash pot? Or do do you have you ever tried to group them together or do anything different
1: stylistically? I actually had my babies um that I the first two that I bought were a silver dragon and a black velvet and I had them together in a pot and it looked so beautiful. I loved it, mm. the different uh colours and they just matched really well together, but those unfortunately had pests, which I didn't realize back then. I didn't even know pests were a thing in houseplants back then. So (laughs) those didn't make it. Uh, In general, I like to combine plants. I currently have most of them in their own pots, though, just to... I think it's easier to have them in their own pots. I have had some baby ones in the pot with my big um, zabrina because that's a big, big pot and it's getting nice light. So I had the baby ones in there, but they were not happy at all because they needed more water than the big one. And they were at the top of the soil, which usually gets drier quicker than the bottom where the Zebrina roots were. So those were actually the ones that I had to rescue that are now in my shelves in um, semi-hydro. So I do like combining them, but currently I haven't done it. I maybe sometimes put pots together in an outer pot so that it looks like they're combined, but they're not actually combined
0: yeah, that is my favourite trick for that. I mean, somebody messaged me with a question a couple of days ago about um, companion planting or mixing planted displays and worrying about the roots mixing together. And I'm like, well, yes, they've, they will. And ultimately, something will outcompete everything else. And I think if you're going to do that mixed planting, it's fantastic. But you have to say to yourself, I might have to repot this or untangle this sooner than I would if they were potted individually. Uh, so it depends how much time you've got, I guess. I mean, as you say, if you've got keep them in the individual pots, you can kind of play around with different arrangements without facing a root untangling mission, which might be a bit much. A bit of a challenge.
1: <laughs> I do have a lot of them actually in my, I have a big terrarium that is a planted terrarium for this oh, my yes. first experiment Te- with Tell it. us about that. That's amazing. <laughs> and I have aloesias in there as well. That was an experiment Everything is an experiment in there because I'm no expert in terrarium building, but they are doing really well. They're growing really well. They're growing new leaves. The silver dragon and the black velvet are both doing well in there. So that is really fun. I have two of them now because the, the rescue ones are still struggling. So yeah, I... Hello, my cat is coming to visit. Oh, your cat. <laughs> Mickey! Lovely. I hope you didn't hear that jump or it's throwing <laughs> over my mic almost. Go away, Mickey. Go no he wants some attention
0: oh well they always do i mean cats whenever i go to somewhere with cats i'm allergic to cats so cats know and they just come straight for you yeah you're like oh (laughs) let's get
1: jane (laughs) 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 oh yeah i had a grow tent upstairs to survive my plants in winter but that is really big and ugly if you've seen them they're really big black Mm. boxes And my boyfriend said, why don't you get a terrarium instead so that you can actually see the plants? Which I was like, yes, please. Great idea. So I wanted to start with a smaller terrarium to practice. But then on like a Dutch version, like a marketplace kind of website, I found one that was huge and very affordable. So I decided to just go for it. (laughs) And it is about two meters tall, including the the bottom part where there's some some hidden compartments to put stuff. And it's, uh, what is it, 120 wide? Mm -hmm. So it is a really, really big tank. And I started to plant that. I did a lot of workshops and looked into how that could work, uh, what plants I wanted in there. I actually wanted this guy to hold my anthuriums because they were starting to become too big for my small terrarium. And I definitely love my anthuriums as well. So I built it for that, but now I'm experimenting with all sorts of plants. There's alocasias in there, there's going to be a lot of hoyas in there as well, there's orchids, there's begonias, which I was not good with before, but now I have this terrarium, so hopefully they will survive there. And yeah, it's been a really, really fun experiment. I made a YouTube series about the whole build, so if people want to see more of how I actually did it and what plants are in there and what it looks like, I recommend looking at my youtube channel if i'm allowed to
0: <laughs> yeah of course you are allowed to self promote <laughs> your say youtube that. channel yeah that is it, i mean did you have that moment where you you bought this thing and then you just suddenly thought how on earth am i gonna they're heavy these things they're <laughs> really heavy Yes yeah, it, it was a, a trial getting it to your home
1: it was a huge uh, underestimation because i I told her like, "Oh, this is amazing. I would love to build a planterarium." So she picked me. She had a lot of people interested, but she picked me. And I said I can come and pick it up this weekend. And then I realized it didn't fit in my car. It didn't fit in my boyfriend's car. So I actually had to rent a van, a big van, and it almost didn't fit into that van. So <laughs> I actually arranged for it was in a in a different town. And I went on a Facebook group off that town to ask for some help lifting it because they couldn't help. It was from an old man. So (laughs) and we had neighbors where we live, of course, they could help lift it. Uh, So, yes, I highly underestimated the size and the weight and realized once we got here that we couldn't even get it through the stair hole, stairwell hole, whatever you call it. So it couldn't even live in the space where my grow tent had lived. But now it lives in the kitchen and it's actually perfect because that was a bit of a dead space area and now it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to look at every day. So, yeah, I highly underestimated everything about it.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, it's great that you had the help of the community to, to make it happen. And I find with those kind of things, when you really want something, you just make it work. I remember driving back from picking up a, rock, a wooden rocking horse for my children in my at the time tiny car with my children in the back with this rocking horse literally hanging out of the boot, <laughs> st- the boot lid strapped down. Because amazing. I just really wanted this rocking horse. It was going really cheap. And I was like, I'm getting my children this rocking horse. <laughs> that <laughs> it was is like, so cool. I don't care. And my husband was like, don't tell me what you did. I don't want to know. <laughs> I do not want to know the details. It's going to terrify me. So
1: that's amazing. So I
0: know I can imagine that was your rocking horse. Now it's in. And you've got endless potential to play with different organ- setups
1: and ways
0: of doing things.
1: Yeah, it's really, really fun also to learn so much more about plants because there's such different types of plants that that are typical terrarium plants that I never looked into like the small detail plants the crawlers that people use once you look into the the terrarium world it's a whole new world so it was really really fun to look into that and now I planted it back in October end of October the first planting was in and now finally I see some of the smaller plants starting to grow and actually become visible because they were so I got lots of cuttings from friends and they were so small. And now finally, they're starting they're starting to to show.
0: That's great when you can see it start to mature and become what you would envisage. But I guess it's always going to be a process of of change and adaptation because these things never sit still. But that's really exciting. And are there any of your allocations or any other plants that you're
1: particularly Buzzed about right now. It is winter right now, so a lot of them look quite sad, which <laughs> yeah, we haven't so really true. talked about. But <laughs> they go, they can go into dormancy, and people are always so worried when it's fall or winter and the leaves are starting to hang or they're losing lots of leaves or even losing all of the leaves. But that is part of, I feel like, having alocasias. Sometimes they make it through the winter perfectly and keep growing, and sometimes they go into dormancy. But I always know that they will come back in spring, as long as, of course, they don't rot. So right now, a lot of them are a little bit sad, which doesn't make me super excited about them, but I have two that I'm I'm very excited about. One I recently just bought, which is an Elocasia Ninja. And that's the one with the, it's apparently some kind of hybrid of black velvet or related to black velvet. So it has very dark leaves, but more round. They're almost circular, I would say. And it has beautiful shimmery veins, almost like an Anthurium crystallinum. I really, really like this one. It, it's I feel like it's come out new in Europe in the last few months. So they're becoming more and more available in garden centers. I actually bought mine for 13 euros. So they're not expensive or or rare or hard to get or anything. They're just new, I feel like. So that's one of my favorites. And the other one is a yellow variegated fry deck that I found I don't have a lot of money to spend on plants, so don't think that I spent hundreds or thousands of euros on a variegated Fry deck. But I found it in a grower, and it is just really beautiful. It is actually looking really sad right now. <laughs> I'm looking at it. <laughs> but I feel like once it comes back in spring, I'm very curious to see what it will look like, how the variegation will be. And yeah, I'm super excited for that one.
0: Oh, that's great. And just going back to dormancy, if your plant does lose all its leaves, do you just let it dry out entirely? Or how do you keep the plant in stasis until it's time for it to sprout?
1: I haven't really had them go fully, like losing all the leaves. I try to water them a little bit less because if there's less leaves, then there's also less use of the water, I feel like. So I just use my little gauge thingy and make sure that I don't overwater them. I I. On the side of caution with watering, so prefer to lessen water. But I don't completely let them dry out, like I do with my caladiums, for example. I still give them a little bit of water and enough light.
0: I kind of like the ones that go dormant, where you can just put the pot in the cupboard, (laughs) just dry it out completely. That's my kind of dormancy. Yeah,
1: it's nice. But then also, I always forget about them. So my box of caladiums, I I always forget, and then people are like, "Have you planted yours?" and I'm. Yet, and I realize that I still have to do that. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> same, same, same. Yes, the number of uh, forgotten pots is quite considerable mm. in my case. I can sympathize with that. <laughs> we, I wanted to also cover a little bit about struggles with plants, and I know this is something that you talk about on Instagram. Struggling with too many plants, I think, is probably something we both have had in common. How do you deal with that feeling of overwhelm and? How do you curate your collection so that it doesn't cause you stress?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have had this several times in my journey with plants. I feel like as if you start with plants, once you get into them, it's always I feel like everyone just buys the plants that they really like. And then all of a sudden your house is super full and you realize like, oh, this this is a little bit too much. I the first time it took me a little bit of effort because I realized that Plants were becoming a chore instead of like a fun chore, like an, a, something to do on my to do list, or they would all not be happy anymore. And so it took a while for the first time to happen, but I, then I took action and I gave away some plants. I uh, sold some plants, or I just let go of ones that were really, really sad. And since then, I've been a lot more um, easy. I would say, with my putting my mental health over the amount of plants in my home. So once I notice that plants are not fun anymore, I'm starting to feel the pressure of having to do a lot of chores that I don't want to do or that I don't have time for. I start to look at which ones can I let go, which ones don't spark joy, like Marie Kondo would say, and just (laughs) be a little bit ruthless sometimes with cutting back. Because I feel like when you cut back, then there is space to enjoy again, and then also for the plants, the plants will continue growing. So, yeah, I'm I'm quite quick and uh, maybe ruthless with, or just smart <laughs> with uh, choosing which plants can stay and which I will let go of.
0: I think there is a, a pressure that perhaps some of us who you know post on Instagram and have people following us um, on social media feel a pressure that well you know okay you've got to have this plant because it's the it plant and everyone loves it and therefore you must have one of these well no if you don't want that calathea or orbifolia and all the stress that comes <laughs> with it don't just don't have it like I, I mean i'm increasingly becoming like why would i i i can yes i could grow this plant successfully but i do not have the time or energy or desire and therefore i'm not going to try to emulate the people who've got these plants because i don't i don't i don't feel the desire i know the things that thrive in my house and the things that i enjoy and they're probably to other people a little bit weird but that's okay
1: (laughs) i like weird
0: jane weird is good yeah i haven't convinced the world to start growing um members of the saxifrage family as much as (laughs) i would have liked to but there we go i'll keep trying it might come it might come it might come indeed i my the revolution the revolution is still um in the pipeline well it's been really fantastic to tra- chat to you uh is there anything else that we haven't covered that you feel a burning desire to talk about
1: <laughs> well, i i do want to say if you do feel overwhelmed with your plans sometimes in that moment, you don't have the energy or the, the mental capacity to get rid of plants or to sell them because that also can take a lot, especially for introverts. So in that moment, I would say it's okay to just let them be. Maybe some of them will die, but that is part of nature. Some of them, just focus on yourself first. And then once you have a little bit of energy back, then that is a time for you to start to maybe sell some or give some away. But put yourself over your plants. You can't do that maybe with your pets and your children if you have those, but plants are going to be fine if you let them not be happy. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. Mental health is super important to me. And to keep it in a way that I call it plant therapy, so that when I am uh, doing something with my plants, whether it's chores or just whatever I'm doing, that it's fun that it's bringing me the relaxation or the confidence or just the satisfaction of having done something effective that day. That is the focus for me. And if it feels anything different, if it feels negative, then I focus back on myself. And then once I have the energy for it, I will make changes in that process. Um, Something else that I do want to say... I am starting a planty podcast, so I'm super excited for that.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm always, always loving somebody setting up a planty podcast. Tell us what it's going to be.
1: It's going to be in Dutch mostly, so I don't know if how many of your listeners understand dutch when we have guests we'll do it in english and we're hoping to get you on in it as a guest as well but <laughs> <laughs> throwing that out there now but my friend and i ons uh, from urban jungling on instagram uh, and i we get along very well we both like to talk about mental health and plants we both actually have adhd as well so it's going to be a very <laughs> entertaining and maybe a little bit of chaotic um yeah episodes but we are starting we've we've gotten everything prepared we have to start recording but we haven't done that yet because she has a very busy job right now my focus is fully on the plan so i'm a little bit more easy but hopefully in spring we'll have our first episodes out and it's still a little bit of a secret nobody knows this yet so this is a <laughs> a scoop for on the ledge See, <laughs> so what's the name going to be it's going to be plant which means plant talk well, thanks ever
0: so much for joining me rose and yeah, enjoy your brand new glass box I'm, i mean i <laughs> 've got to go and watch, i haven 't watched the YouTube stuff. I need to go and watch that because it 's very inspiring and um, yeah, I will put all the details for your socials in the show notes, but just tell us where we can find you on Instagram and so on
1: i 'm plant with rose on Instagram and Rose is the Dutch spelling of rose so it 's r o o s uh, which I thought would make it unique because plant with rose, you pronounce it as rose, but it's it's my unique Dutchness. And then on YouTube, I'm yoga and plant with rose because I actually started that as a yoga channel, but now it's only plants and my yoga content is hidden for my paid viewers. So. Oh, well, that's
0: that's great. Well, things evolve. That's the like plants uh, and we, we, we all evolve. So that's cool. Well, it's lovely to speak to you. And thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jane.
0: Thanks so much to Rose and do check the show notes for some images of her alocasias. I'll be back next Friday for more plant chat. I do hope your week is full of light, love and plants. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku, and Plantation by Jason Shaw. Tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.